Well, thank you. How many of you have ever taken a wrong turn driving? <laughs> All right, so um, let's see if this starts. And that is exactly what you think is happening. That is crushing all of the cars that are in the top. And there's pictures later in the video, $2 million worth of damage. And the video, the title of the video was, there's gonna be a slight delay in the delivery of your new car. <laughs> but we're not, we're not, there is not gonna be a delay in heavenly rewards. But before I get there, I wanted to give a heavenly disclaimer. And that is, let, each, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur stricter judgment. And you see, I really believe God in this. And so what I'm going to teach on, I have not spent a lifetime of study on. I just want you to know. You know, the gray hair, <laughs> lack of hair. But I believe the scripture reveals these truths. I'm very passionate about it. And the reason I talk about it is because they motivate me. They really do. And... This is something that I'm excited about, but something that you don't get a lot of teaching on. And it's kind of like 2 Corinthians. Nobody really teaches on 2 Corinthians a lot because it's not easy to teach on. But I hope they'll motivate you because that's what I teach for. I don't teach to entertain. I teach for life change. Starting with me, hopefully God will use it for you. Otherwise, uh, I've got some really cool videos I can show you and we'll have a good time. But we're not going to do that. So we're going to think about trajectory. That's what I wanted to talk about. What's the definition? It's formed by mixing some words together. we got some people that know a lot about missiles and things like that. It's the curve that a body such as a planet or a comet or a rocket follows in space. Or it's a path or a progression or a line of development resembling a physical trajectory. All those fancy words means like my life. What's the arc of my life? Where am I going? Where am I going with it? Because like that train... That, you know, I don't know if y'all know that, but trains are heavy. <laughs> and they, that's why you don't go around the little guards or you don't lay on a railroad track because the engineer may see you, but he's not stopping the train. He can put his foot out, but he'll just break his leg. <laughs> so what direction is our life going? So some are awesome. This is an awesome one. This is Apollo 16. Um, <laughs> You know, a lot of people working on that trajectory, don't you? Wanting to make sure it's right. You know, we hear a lot about the commercial space programs, but that rocket put 100,000 pounds into lunar orbit. So it lifted quite a bit. But it was on a very precise trajectory. And if it deviated, they'd blow it up. And too bad for Charlie Duke. He wouldn't get to the moon. 
but he got there. Now, this is more like my life trajectory. The first one was what I'd like it to be. So many analogies for life in this video. <laughs> if you don't like your trajectory, just change it. Now watch, not watch what the animal does. Just walks off. <laughs> ah, we'll stop there. What you don't see is there's cattle in there, so he gets in, has to back out, and then the cows come out. It's pretty funny. Uh, you know, it's, you see the analogies there, you know, they laid the rails over a log. I mean, seriously, how many of you think, you know, you know it would have been a lot easier in my life if I had just fixed that before I went over it. But it's kind of a cool picture. So life trajectories. Jesus cares about how we live. He really does. That's what we talked about last week. The reality is, though, is judgment is coming. And if you're breathing, you can affect the outcome. I had a conversation this morning with somebody said, if you're breathing, you can affect the outcome. So examples of life trajectory show this last week. In the chart, the bottom line is our sinfulness. Top line is God's righteousness. We become a Christian at regeneration right here in the lower left-hand corner, and we start the progressive sanctification process. We're growing, and we have our ups and downs, right? And anytime you're in a down, there's probably somebody there to tell you you never really were a Christian. That's always encouraging. That was sarcasm, in case y'all didn't know that. <laughs> And then you have this person who was never followed up, never discipled, just never, never got the message. Like, like uh, it, uh, God talks about in 1 Corinthians 3, you know, you're babies, you're, you're just taking milk. And all of a sudden they die, there's rapture, and they realize they missed out on a lot. And then you have this person who was progressing well and for some reason went down. That's when you have other people come along and say, you never really were a Christian either. But maybe that's not the problem. And I think part of the problem we have in our Christian life is because we're not thinking about the end game. We're not thinking about the judgment. So let's talk about it, because the judgment's where we're headed. And we're going to talk a little bit about 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians occurs here at the very end of the New Testament period and about, you know, 50s, 60s, it's the follow-up letter to 1 Corinthians. So we're studying in the pulpit, 1 Corinthians, and there's a lot of truth revealed, but it's barely or rarely preached, and it begins with comfort. And it's really interesting. You're going to recognize this first, but look where it is in the text. 
It is in chapter 1, verses 3, no, 3, 3, and 4. Listen to what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And that's the, that's the third and the fourth verse of the book. It must be important, you think, because that's what he starts with. The message here is God is present in our pain and our difficulties. He is there no matter what we're going through. How many of you hurt this morning in any way, shape, or form? Raise your hand. The rest of you are not telling the truth. Or you didn't get out of bed. Somehow you got here, but I don't know how you did it. Father of mercy and comfort comforts us in all our affliction, and we can share God's comfort with others. That's what he's telling us here. So we're gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go briefly through a little bit of 2 Corinthians to get us to chapter 5, because I want to talk about chapter 5, and then we'll branch out from there. All right, so follow with me. In, in, um, I'm not going to read anything. I've got the verses for you so we can kind of smooth along. In the, at, right after this, Paul talks about his illness because he had been sick. Paul had been very sick, sick to the point of death. He was afflicted to, or sick to the point of death, and he says that God gave him a purpose. And the purpose is here in verse 9. He says, so that he would not trust in ourselves but in God. Now, how many of you, when you're sick or you're having a surgery, you're sitting there thinking, God is allowing this in my life so I don't trust in myself but in him? And that's the right answer. I'd like to get there to have that attitude. But that's what Paul was saying, is he knew that this was being allowed by God for a purpose. Also, comfort the repentant. Remember, Ken talked about the uh, young man in the incestuous relationship in 1 Corinthians? Well, he repented. He had, it had been corrected. They had taken care of this young man. And so now he says, forgive and comfort him. He's saying you need to forgive and reaffirm your love for him. Because sometimes when people sin and then they repent, you know, there's a part of us that still want to stick it to them. I mean, just think about it. You know, you, you want it, you know, they need a whipping and you just kind of, you know, just maybe one more lash will make you feel better. But that's not what he's telling them to do. Then he talks about adequacy. He says in chapter 3, our adequacy is from God. Now remember, Paul is writing from a perspective. God is revealing to him. God beat him down to where he was sick and he was ill and he was weak and he was tired. And he said, my adequacy is from God. I can't do it. I can't do it. We all want to perform, and we all want to do a good job, but ultimately the results are God's. If we're doing God's work, it's God's job to bring the results. So every believer can truly serve God because God is the one who gives the results. He's the one that's adequate. All right, so we move from chapter 3, and we're going to go to chapter 4. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So who is first in that relationship? Is it Paul or is it Jesus? It's Jesus. That's who it's all about. I mean, when, you know, I, I attempt to play the trumpet in the orchestra and I have to constantly, and I'm not very good. Y'all might think I am, but that's the other guys. They keep me there so if there's a bad note, they can point. <laughs> and, but I have to remember, why are we doing this? We're doing this to glorify Jesus Christ. 
That's why we're doing it. That's why I'm up here. It's not about me. It is not. So what is it about? Everything we do is for Christ. That's the message that we have to keep in mind. So Paul is, is, is working us in a direction. And, but serving Jesus Christ has challenges. First, we live in bodies that will be broken. Paul was afflicted, persecuted, and struck down. And he was persecuted. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. And, but he was not crushed, despaired, or destroyed. How many of you have felt crushed, despaired, or destroyed? I mean, you feel that way, but we're not. We're not. We have, we have uh, one of the men was talking about his wife had her knee replacement this, what, a couple of days ago, right? And she's doing good. It's, isn't that amazing to be, have a knee replaced now, whereas 100 years ago you couldn't. You just, you just got around. So we're in a blessed time. But it still hurts. You still have to do the therapy. You still have to do all those things that go with it. That's, and that's not because of your faith. That's just because our bodies are breaking down. So what should we do? Don't get discouraged. Easier said than done, right? Don't get discouraged. Let's look in verse 16. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Our bodies are wearing out. Some of you are younger than others. I just turned 63. Some are older than me. I guess most of you are probably older than me. Some are younger than me. But our bodies are wearing out. And at some point, they're not going to go anymore. They're going to stop. But that's what he's talking about. He's addressing, don't lose heart even though your body is decaying. He recognizes that. God recognizes. Jesus knows, but every day, my spirit and my soul is being made new. How that happens, I have no clue how that happens. I just know I get up in the morning, and I, I shave, and I get ready, and have my quiet time and my time with God, and I ask Him to be with me and use me, and He does. He absolutely does. I told you all about, um, I've been learning to, to fly an airplane and a couple of weeks ago, I, I said, God, just help me to be courageous. And, and the wind was, there was no wind. I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. And we took off, and we got slammed. It scared me to death. <laughs> and I was sweating like crazy. And I thought, I thought shame on me for praying to be courageous. Because <laughs> God gave me an opportunity to have courage <laughs> that I was not appreciative of. But it got better. But, but that whole process was good because those first two takeoffs and landings, they were rough. But after that, it got better. Um, so that, the courage thing did happen. So now our afflictions, this you're going to love this, our afflictions are comparatively small and temporary. Think about that. You don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what you're going through. But God says it is nothing. He says here, for momentary light affliction is producing for us what? an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Why did I spike it out the way I did? You see the parallel. Momentary versus eternal, light versus weight, heavy. What that means is it seems hard now. What we're going through seems really difficult. It seems incredibly challenging. But later we're going to say that was no big deal compared to now. And you're thinking, 
I don't know how that's going to happen. It will happen. By faith, I haven't been there, but I trust God. It's going to happen. So that is where we're, we're setting the stage because we're heading somewhere. we got these broken down bodies. We, we deal with illness. Our bodies are breaking down. We go through difficulties. God is saying, don't be discouraged. What you're going through is nothing. And remember, people, people have lost their lives for the faith. I mean, burned to death, starved to death, heads chopped off, things like that. Lots of bad things. No big deal compared to what awaits in eternity. 2 Corinthians 5, that's where I want to get to. So we get to 2 Corinthians 5. It says, suffering makes us want to go to heaven. Look in verse 2. It's really cool. He said, for indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So that is one of God's design for the fact that our bodies break down and we have pain and we suffer. God wants us to want to be with him. How many of you have had a relative who has been a believer that says, I'm ready to go be with my Lord? That's exactly what he's talking about here. That's part of the plan. Because what we have here cannot compare. It's all going to be better. And I look forward to it. All right, the Holy Spirit is God's eternal guarantee. So God gives us his spirit. So he's saying, we want, you know, we're, we, things are difficult. We want to go to heaven. And God has given us his Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee. It's the down payment. It's a seal. So it's a, it's a seal like on a document. It's the notary that God has said, you're in. You're in the kingdom. So then he says, show courage. Your future is guaranteed. So it says in chapter 5, verses 5 through 8, it gives another parallel. He says, at home in the body, at home, so this is my home right here. You're looking at my home right here, and I'm in the body. Where am I in relation to the Lord, according to this passage? Absent from the Lord. All right? Then he says, absent from the body, so when I'm, when I'm dead, and I'm, gonna be, and I'm buried, where am I? I'm at home with the Lord. That is the, the parallel, the tension. So, but our future is guaranteed. Remember, we have the Holy Spirit. We live on our earth, but our forever home is with Jesus. How many of you like watching those home improvement shows? You know, we're working on making a forever, forever home for so-and-so. Really? Really, it's a forever home. That's great marketing, but it's a lie. Because one, are they going to stay married? That's the question you got right there. <laughs> well, actually, you got first off, are they married? <laughs> Which is a question. And then are they going to stay married? And they're not going to live there because sooner or later, their body's going to break down and that beautiful staircase is going to be an ugly staircase. It's going to be that awful staircase. That's when you need one of those, those elevator things <laughs> to get you up that staircase. Yeah, we live in a, our house, you come in the front, you have to step up to our entryway, and it's about six inches higher, and then you can step down into the living room, or you go forward and you go into the family room and you step down. It's really cool. You know, and it, we have a lot of fun having people over because we greet them, and they're standing there, and then they, they talk, and then they step, and then they flip over into the living room. Because <laughs> they don't know there's a hole there. <laughs> So, but at some point, it's not going to be funny for us. Actually, Kathy will, we'll have people over and she'll, 
she'll literally, and they've never been in our house, she'll literally put chairs right there so that there's a, there's, there's a block because we don't want somebody to get hurt. But when we bought the house, it was really cool. But uh, it won't be as cool in the future. All right, so now the goal is to please him. And that is in chapter 5, verse 9. Whether we're at home or absent, pleasing the Lord at home or absent. Well, please Jesus Christ now, today, while you live, okay, in your body. Where are we, where are we all right now? You're at home in the body, okay? So he's saying please him today and then please Jesus Christ later after you die. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, wait a minute, Stuart. I'm dead. Well, we'll talk about that. My wife says I say that a lot, so she, she's keeping score. If I say we'll talk about that, she writes that down. All right, so let's review. Life can stink. There's affliction, there's pain, there's suffering, there's persecution. He says flee discouragement. The stinks are comparatively small. It doesn't seem so. We had grandkids in, and there were diapers in the house this weekend. And there's diapers in the kitchen trash, which are for us to deal with. Those are stinks. Those are small stinks, but we're going to take care of those stinks because we enjoyed having them here. But the suffering makes us want to go home. I want to go be with Jesus when I hurt. How many of you are on a cruise and having the time of your life and say, Lord Jesus, come back and end this awesome time? Most of us don't. Please Jesus now so you will please him later. That's what we're going to talk about. All right, so where? The judgment seat of Christ. So we're going to talk about this. Cody talked about this a few weeks ago, but we're going to go in a little bit more detail. The judgment seat of Christ, chapter 5, verse 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, remember Cody showed a picture of the Bema seat, so I got one that's a little bit closer. That one he showed was a little further away. But you see the little sign there in the middle that says Bema seat. Okay? And so I believe that the white stones are the remnants of the old pavement. And so the Bema seat is, so there would be a, a chair or a very ornate uh, item up there for whoever is passing judgment. And you notice there's an altitude difference between the pavement and the top. Do you think that's an accident? No. The judge is up there. So the judgments were handed down from the Bema seat, and the Isthmian, or you would call them the Olympic game, winners got their awards there. The Olympics are going on right now. It's very appropriate. So this is where they would come and have the awards. This was in Corinth. And so, it was, so Paul was using this image so they would know exactly what, they, what he's talking about. So there's this judgment, but it's Jesus who is sitting on the throne and we who are sitting down below. So what happens here? Everyone gets a personal review with Jesus Christ. Personal. You get your special time with Jesus. And I get my special time with Jesus. Does that sound scary to you guys? Yeah? Yeah? And rewards are given for our life. Oh, don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> Just kidding. Rewards determine our position of service and our ruling in eternity. And so let me give you a picture here in just a moment. 
It's not for our eternal destiny. That's not what's in play at the judgment seat of Christ. This is about rewards. Words mean things. Many times when you read the scripture and you see the word inheritance, that means we take that and we reinterpret that to be relationship. And that's not. If God had meant relationship, if he had meant relationship, he would have said that. Inheritance is what he's talking about. So that when we're at the judgment seat of Christ, we're not establishing a relationship with Christ. We are dealing with rewards based on our relationship, our, our life afterwards. And it's not for unbelievers. That's what the great white throne judgment is for. Let me give you a picture of how I visualize the uh, judgment seat of Christ. Is imagine that we're all in Cowboy Stadium and the stands are full and Jesus is down on the 50-yard line and you're standing there all by yourself. Or I'm standing there all by myself. And then this cart comes in and all of my works reel in and then there's an angel standing there with this torch who looks a lot like Dr. Ben. <laughs> and Jesus gives him the nod and he walks over and he puts the torch to it. And there's a great fire and then another angel comes along and he gets the wisp broom out and he starts going through all the ashes and he sweeps the gold and silver pieces out and there they are. Now, how many of you are afraid of being embarrassed at the judgment seat of Christ? Okay, let me put your heart to me. Why are you embarrassed? Don't answer. I'm afraid sometimes of being embarrassed because of my pride. I don't want you to know what the real me is. But when I'm with Jesus, I don't have a sin nature anymore, boys and girls. It's gone. So I don't have that pride problem. So now, back to our analogy. When that's happening, we're all going to be cheering for each other. We're going to be excited. You're not going to need a sound system because there's going to be so much excitement. We're going to say, look at that. Look at that. Isn't that exciting what, what you did and what you did and what you did? And Jesus is, we're not going to go, oh, you thought that about me? Well, let's talk about this. All that's going to be, there's no sin nature to deal with. How many years have you lived with your sin nature? Every one of them. But they're going to be gone. All right, now I'm going to meddling. I'm stopped preaching and we're going to go away. So now we're going to say, we're going to talk about no hiding. No hiding. Everything will be revealed, but there will be, there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. So all, it's all coming out. Everything's going to come out. It's all going to be coming out. But again, you're not going to have that sin nature. You're not going to be embarrassed. That embar it's not going to happen. Hidden things and motives will be real. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. The Lord comes who will, bring, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motive of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So God's going to sift through it all. We'll talk about that. And judgment begins with God's house. It's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. We get to go first. We're not going to the white throne. We're going to the Bema seat. The Bema seat will be fun. What will Jesus Christ look for? Deeds. How many are surprised by that? Faithfulness. And last but not least, words. I know you're going, oh, 
bite my tongue. I wish I hadn't said that. Remember, no sin nature. No sin nature. So let's talk about deeds. First, deeds will determine each reward. Revelation 22, or 2, 23b says, I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. What have you done with your life? So yeah, judgment seat of Christ, what's it about? I told you nobody ever talks about this. It's your deeds. Next, deeds are quality tested. Jesus Christ is the foundation of all we do, and fire is going to test our works. Remember, the angel that looks like Ben is going to burn our works, and there's going to be good deeds that are going to be the gold and silver, and bad deeds that are the wood and hay. And I am planning on you guys getting a suntan from my judgment. Okay? That's just the facts. But again, that's my pride in, in act there. Deeds are tested against Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.5 says, Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. You have to follow the rules. If you're going to go do a good deed for the Lord, you have to do it according to the Lord's rules. I've always wanted to be in the Olympics as a, you know, a cyclist and just take the shortcut and, and not have to work out and do that. And you just win. You just show up. You're waiting for the other guys. No, you get disqualified because there's people watching. So you have to compete according to the rules. So the deeds must be in line with Scripture because the Scripture is the rule book. So Bible reading, study, and memorization are important. If you're rewarded for your deeds and your deeds have to be in line with Scripture and you don't know the Scripture, how much chance do you have of gold and silver versus wood and, wood and hay and that kind of stuff? It must be in line with Scripture. That's important. So when you're reading, your, reading the Scripture or we're doing these studies, it is very important. That's why we do it, one of the reasons. All right, next, another criteria. Deeds must have a God-glorifying motivation. Oh, my goodness. Talk about sin nature. I've got one. Who am I doing this for? Glorifying me or you or whatever? Well, Jesus knows what you think and why. That's what he's already told us. He knows what you think. Good deeds are for Jesus Christ and not for people. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So that, that bad motivation can mess up your reward. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ who you serve. This passage, when I learned it in college, was in the context for me, was in how I handled, how I did my work. It actually, this passage taught me to work hard. People ask me, they say, well, how tall are you? And I say, well, I'm six foot eight. Did you play basketball? Yes. <laughs> I played in high school, but I wasn't any good. Why? Because I was lazy? Because I didn't want to practice? Because it was work and I wasn't interested in work? This verse helped change that because I started to realize I'm working for Jesus. And that's where I need to keep my focus. So on those days at work when I'm hating my job and I'm tired of it, don't want to do it, i got to remember who am I working for. So is there a reward for that? Maybe. Maybe. All right. So how do you determine rewardable deeds? Now, one of the things they taught us in seminary is how to identify people who have done rewardable deeds or not. 
And I can, I can name people who have nothing right now, no rewardable deeds, and so I'm going to go and I'm going to point you out in this group. <laughs> How many of you just took a deep breath? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was all made up. Jesus decides us. Uh, uh, you can feel the tension. The tension in this room is also very tense. But Jesus decides, not us. This is a cool passage. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, because this passage is wonderful. And he says this, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring both who will bring both to light in the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So go back. Look at that at the beginning. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before time. It's not my job to judge your works. It's not my job to judge my works because I don't know. Think about that. Just do it. My wife reminded me of a story I told her that I have no recollection of about two seminary students who were, there was an elderly woman who needed help crossing the road. And they were arguing as she was crossing the road about how to do it with the right motivation so they'll be rewarded in heaven. (laughs) Meanwhile, she was crossing the road without help. And the point there is just help the lady across the road. Because it's not up to you to judge. It's not up to her to judge. It's not up to anybody but Jesus. Just leave it. He can handle it. He can do it. Our job is to do the deed. All right. Next is faithfulness. Faithfulness determines reward. I've memorized this verse. I I love this verse because my name is Stuart. Stuart means steward. And I I love serving. It's just fun. I like doing things like that. It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. If you have a servant, you want to be trustworthy. Think about it. Do you really want to go into a restaurant, order your food, and be rude to them, and they spit on it before they bring it out to you? <laughs> have you ever thought about that? That would be kind of awful. You're trusting in that servant, that steward, to be trustworthy. And that's what Jesus is looking for. Are we faithful? When I was in college, they said, we're looking for fat people. How many of you heard that, fat people? Yep. You know, just a few. You know what fat stands for? It doesn't mean fat like I ate too much. It means faithful, available, and teachable. And I think it's really cool. Am I faithful? Am I available to do what God wants me to do? And am I teachable? Am I teachable? A lot of times we're faithful. A lot of times we're available. We're not teachable. All three are really wonderful things. The next thing is faithfulness is a test. And some of the parables, I mean, I think Kyle has taught a lot on parables. And one of them, Jesus said, he is faithful in very little thing, in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. So our faithfulness in small things determines our faithfulness in bigger things. And Jesus sees that. Faithfulness also brings a reward. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things, but I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. What a great thing. How many of you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I do. Man, sign me up. That's what I want to hear. That's, that's, that, I'm, that I'm excited about. Now, there's going to be some gold and silver and stuff that will determine the in charge of many things. 
Faithfulness, not success, is the key. Because who's responsible for the results? Is it you or me? You tell the good news to somebody? If they believe or not, that's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not your job. If you meet with somebody and you're giving your life into their life to grow them in their walk with God and they don't respond, whose problem is that? Well, you're going to feel bad. Did I do something? Could I have done something different? But it's between them and Jesus. How many of you have kids that have not made the choice you would have made on things? Yeah. But it's their choice. Now, step back and let's put this Sunday school class with your parents in there. And the pastor says, how many of you have kids that would have, not, would have, have made different choices? And you're, now you're the kid making the bad choice. So we all do that. We have to, it's, not, it's faithfulness, not success. Then we get to words. Words is the fun one, ones that scares me the most because I have a big mouth. Words impact our rewards. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I don't think he's being literal. He's talking about at the judgment. It's going to be revealed. And how are you going to say, well, I'm going to be upset. No sin nature. No sin nature. You've lived your whole life with a sin nature. You have no idea what it's like. I think many of us are going to get to, get to be in the Lord's presence, and we're going to go, that hurt for 60 years, and I didn't even know it was. Because there's so many things that are going on right now. Our words reveal our character, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, God is saying if you control your words, you're perfect. So how many of you control all your words? None of you do. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So God knows we can't control our mouth. But it's part of the reward process. The Holy Spirit hears everything we say and think. But I wasn't going to put that on paper. <laughs> so... It's all by grace. So stop judging yourself. I want you to, some of you are probably sitting there going, I'm doomed. <laughs> I have no chance. A friend of mine was in the Air Force, and he got out because he said the NCO, you know, the guys, you know, sergeant stuff, the NCO stood for no chance outside. I mean, outside the military. But some of you think that you have no chance, period. And that's not true. Because what survives the fire will surprise us. Great things in your eyes will burn up. Great things in my eyes are burn up. There are things that I've done that I think are awesome that I'm going to go, this is going to be great. This is going to be a block of gold, but throwaway things will be blocks of gold. You go, you mean that mattered to Jesus? That didn't matter to me at all. We don't know. Servants do their duty. This is a strange passage. We're not going to read it because we don't have time. But he talks about how we're servants, you know, the servant goes out and the servant does its job and you don't wait on the servant, the servant just does its duty. And you go, that's interesting. But Christ redeemed us. We're his servants. We have a duty. Our deeds are our duty. Like salvation, rewards are a gift of God's grace. So any reward we get is a gift, just like salvation. So it's a gift, but it's a gift that God wants to give to us. He wants you to have it. So he says, stop judging yourself. It, you know, some of you may say, well, you know, you don't have gray hair, but I do. It's too late. 
I don't have enough time. You know, there's no runway left. It's over. Parable of the landowner, Matthew 20, 1 to 16. Remember the landowner? Hired workers throughout the day. He'd come, he hired some in the morning, hired some at noon, hired some at 3 o'clock, hired some right before quitting time. And then they all worked for different lengths of time, but all the laborers were paid the same. And the ones that got there early, they were upset, but the landowner was generous. The landowner was generous. Who's the landowner? Jesus. You know what? Jesus Christ is going to be generous. This is not like your reward, your, what you got from your boss the last time when you were still working. This is a generous, generous Savior who wants to give you stuff. So the criteria is be faithful now. One month or 50 years of service could be the same reward. Some of, I may have a week left. This next week in my life could be the most significant for me, for the judgment seat of Christ in my entire life. I don't know that. I have no idea. You don't either. It's never too late. Never. That's what Jesus is talking about because the landowner is generous and he's not short of cash. So finish well. The past. Um, no, uh, Dr. Ben, I'm almost done. Rewards are earned can be lost. Paul said, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Yes, he was afraid of losing rewards. Not his salvation. He was afraid of losing rewards. Now, have you been unfaithful in the past? You can't go back. can't go back. Nobody here has a time machine. You cannot go back. So the present. The present is today. It's a gift. You unwrap it every day, right? Work to earn rewards today. Some people say, well, I just want to be there. Oh, really? You got this wonderful, generous Savior. He wants to give you rewards. You're going to say, no, thanks. That's sad. I hope that's not your attitude. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, who's Paul? Paul is a... Apostle. No, Paul is a murderer. He is a widow creator. He is a creep who killed a lot of people. Now, if Paul had dwelled on that, would he have been the great apostle? No. Because there were Christians who were with Jesus because of Paul. So he says, forgetting what lies behind. Now, he's not saying, I don't care. He had to deal with that before the Lord. So the step one is confess, repent, make restitution. I mean, if there's something that's going on, confess it, repent of it, and if there's a way you can make it right, if somebody's dead, you can't do anything about it. Paul couldn't raise him back from the dead. He probably could have if God had given him the, the grace to do it. And then press forward. Press on. Press on. Today. Today. It's all about today. You know, I love teaching Sunday school. I do. I enjoy this. But I think the time I spend one-on-one -on -one with another man helping him with Jesus is going to be far more significant at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's not why I do it. I just want to serve the Lord. But again, then God says, stop judging before the time. Because I don't know. I don't know. All right, so finish well. Faithful to the end. At the end of his life, Paul had a date with the executioner. They were going to chop his head off. 
And I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I want to tell you about Margie, real quick. I never met Margie. Just heard about Margie in a sermon. Margie was involved in a navigator ministry back in the 50s. Um, young woman. She got involved. She was discipling other women. And Margie spent her life making disciples. She got married. She had kids. Kids grew up. Margie got cancer. Um, years later, Margie was near the end. And her daughter said that a woman that Margie was working with was discipling came over that morning, went upstairs where Margie was in her bed because Margie was bedridden, and Margie reviewed her memory verses with her, went through the things. The young woman left, and that evening or that afternoon, Margie went to be with Jesus. That is faithful to the end. That is faithful to the end. When I think about Margie, I want to meet Margie. Margie's one of my heroes because she challenges me to be faithful to the very end. Can you imagine that? So I want to finish well like Margie, and I hope you do too because there's plenty of time, plenty of time. Now, if you have no idea what to do, talk to me. I can give you, I'm full of ideas. I can give you ideas, but... There's just whatever God leads you to do, whatever the scripture, whatever scripture God lays on your heart. But I'm happy to help. So go forth and seek heavenly rewards because Jesus is generous and he wants to give them to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so excited about the judgment seat of Christ. And I pray that every person in this room would have a passion to finish well, to live their life in such a way that there's gold, silver, and diamonds coming out of that cart and just trusting you for those results. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.